So five, it really has been five years. Uh, a lot has happened. I, I want to begin by, well, thank you, Donnie, for your prayer. I appreciate that a whole lot, the things that you said um, about me, but really the things that you prayed to the Lord. Uh, I do want to take just a minute um, to kind of update you. I know you guys have been praying for, for my family, and some of you have been following uh, what's been happening on Facebook. Uh, Laura's dad, David is his name, David Manning, um, has been in need of a lung transplant for a while. And, uh, and today we received some really good news uh, that he is going to be a candidate for a lung transplant. And so uh, we praise God and, and we thank you uh, for your prayers. That has been uh, something that's really been heavy on our family um, and tough to deal with. Uh, but that kind of, and that also plays into, hey, where are your kids? Why didn't you bring them? We don't like you anymore. Please leave. That plays into all of that tonight. Uh, my kids aren't here because getting the really good news that we got today, uh, we decided, you know, Let's, let's get them down to North Carolina. That's where my in-laws are living now uh, because of the lung transplant. Uh, they have to be at Duke University. So we said, well, let's get the kids down there. Let's go see them. It's, it ends up Lucas's birthday. Uh, he'll be four on Monday, so it'll be good to see them before Lucas's birthday. And then Donna, which is Laura's mom, her birthday is uh, the 4th of July. So it really is a good time uh, for us to, to go and visit them. Unfortunately, my kids aren't here tonight. But we never, and we never put pictures of them on Facebook, so you, don't, you guys don't know what they look like. Uh, or anything like that. Um, I know, I know, we lived here for a couple of years, but I have so many great memories in this place, and and I want to say thank you for that. Um, for whatever redeeming qualities I have as a minister, and that, that may be up for debate if I have any or not. But if I do have any, um, I want you to know that you're partially responsible for that. Um, I learned a lot while I was here. This was a place um, where I grew. This is a place where I learned a lot about ministry and, and a lot about working with people. And I have a lot of great memories here, and I appreciate that. Savannah helped me grow, and I, I feel like I, I feel very grateful to be a part of your story. I want you to know that I pray for you often. I really do. I pray for this church and, and the things you're going through, the, the search for a minister, uh, for the eldership, for the membership. I, I pray for that uh, very often. I feel like I, I, would, I would be remiss um, if I didn't say something about Evangelism University. Uh, I, I love EU, and I know that you guys do too. Uh, what a joy and a blessing it has been to me uh, to be a part of. And um, I know you guys hear this from time to time, but, but I don't care. I, you need to hear it again. I'm not sure that, that we'll ever understand the impact that EU has on the kingdom until we meet the Lord one day. I really believe that. And, uh, and sometimes it's easy to get tunnel vision, I guess, and only see the things that happen here in Savannah. Uh, but it, it's, it's pretty cool what God's doing through other things like EU that EU kind of started and they copied. Uh, there's things like the Gulf Experience in Orange Beach, Beach, Alabama. There's SEC in Montgomery. There's T3 in Texas. There's ECEC, which is East Coast Evangelism Conference in South Carolina. There's YOU in Arkansas. And, and thanks to you guys and the Lord's hand in it, uh, of course, EU2, which happened for the first time last year for college students. I think there's even one that started last year in Georgia. I just don't know much about it. I didn't even know the name of it. Uh, and I probably left some out. Uh, but EU has been such a blessing uh, for me to be a part of, and, and it's really the highlight of my, my week, the, the best weekend of, of my entire year, hands down. I really mean that. And uh, I've been blessed to serve on that board for the last seven years. And I guess it's really as simple as this. 
If you love the Lord, and if you love the Lord's work, you love EU. It's really about as easy as it gets. Did you ever play that game Mercy when you were a kid? Where you kind of manned up against the other person, you took your hands, put your hands against them, and you tried to squeeze them until you made them beg for mercy? Did you do that? Or maybe you cried uncle? Um, I always played that game against my uncle Jesse, and he always lost. In five years, you'll get that joke. Um, I don't have an Uncle Jesse. It's Full House I'm talking about. Um, you didn't get my jokes when I lived here either, so that's really fine. Um, I expected that. When I was a kid, I, I used to think that, that mercy was something that you only said out loud when you played that game. Boy, was I wrong. A lot of people in this world crying out for mercy. A lot of people this week crying out for mercy. May God have mercy on us. We'd rather read a blog than a Bible. We'd rather fire back than hold back. We'd rather speak than listen. We'd rather post than pray. We'd rather be liked than be honest. We'd rather write open letters than go to our brother in private. We'd rather turn to Facebook than to the Lord. We'd rather consult our favorite author than the author of life. We'd rather blurt out our thoughts instead of keep them to ourselves. We'd rather bully than serve. We'd rather debate than submit. We'd rather justify than surrender. We'd rather win an argument than a soul. We'd rather call each other names than call upon the name of the Lord. We'd rather curse our enemies than bless them. We'd rather burn our bridges than build them. We'd rather repay than pray. We'd rather be an expert than be humble. We'd rather be glorified than be humbled. We'd rather beat up than build up. We'd rather insult than have mercy. You know, I never, I never watched the news. But then social media introduced the news feed. And now I remember why I never watched the news. There's a part of me, there's a part of all of us, just feels sad. You get that? You just feel sad at, at the killing, at, at the racism, at our hard-heartedness as a nation, at, at the lack of compassion, at where we are as a society, sad about my news feed, about the hate that spews from both sides of whatever the issue of the day is, the way that people are treating each other, at the words that are coming out of people's mouths that don't know the Lord, and the words that are coming out of the mouths of people that supposedly do know the Lord. Just saddening. It's saddening our society's lack of knowledge and concern for the Word of God, and it's doesn't seem to be getting better. It makes me sad for my kids that are two and three years old. And this is where we are now. May God have mercy on us. And so, I look at your theme this summer. Be happy. Really? <laughs> be happy? Just supposed to be happy? That's how it's supposed to work? After all this stuff that's going on, just supposed to be happy? Because on the one hand, it's hard for me to just look around and be happy. But on the other hand, 
You know why it's hard for us to just look around and be happy? It's because this place wasn't built for you to be happy. This place wasn't meant for you to be happy. It's because our happiness isn't based on what we can see. We can't look around to find happiness here because we aren't called to look around and find happiness here. We're looking above and we're looking at Christ and our happiness comes from Him. And that's the beauty of your theme. That's the beauty of Matthew chapter 5. That's the beauty of the Beatitudes. It's Jesus speaking to the people who really weren't pleased with their present circumstances. Happy. I'm supposed to be happy? Check this out. People that are weary. Hello. Anybody else here weary tonight? Perhaps you're able to identify the words of, with the words of Christ and the Beatitudes in a way that you never have been able to before until this past couple of weeks. Maybe they've never rung as true for you as they will tonight when they ring in your ears. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 5. We'll start in verse 3. Probably verses you've heard week in, week out. I don't care. They're still awesome. I've heard them a lot of times too. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Pretend like you've never heard these words before. And maybe connect them to some of the emotions that you're feeling right now. And by the way, isn't it awesome that the Word of God is alive? And isn't it awesome that it never gets old, it never goes out of style, because you read stuff like this and you're like, was this written today? Check this out. Matthew 5, chapter chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. By the way, that's what we're talking about tonight. Mercy is guaranteed. That's our theme tonight. Mercy is guaranteed. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. What a rich study mercy is in the Bible. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember, there's no chapter breaks in the original Greek, so keep going here because it really fits beautifully for where we are right now. Verse 13, you were the salt of the earth. The guys who heard all those messages just heard these words too. All of you who mourn, all of you who are weary, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown down and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Mercy is guaranteed. Be happy. Mercy is guaranteed. How do I know that? Matthew 5, verse 7. Jesus just said it. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Ah, okay, so mercy is guaranteed, right? Well, sort of. There's a catch. Who is it that will receive mercy? The merciful. And so our question has to kind of change a little bit. Am I merciful? Am I a merciful person? Am I a person 
of mercy. And before we really get practical with this lesson, I feel like there are a few passages. I wish we had time to look at all of them, but we don't. There's, a few, there's at least one passage, though, that I want us to consider that does a great deal of teaching about mercy. And from this passage, I think we're going to be able to make some great connections, some applications to the here and now and where we live and where we find ourselves today and the thoughts we've been thinking probably this week. So, merciful passages. I would have you look at the Good Samaritan. We don't have time. I would have you look more closely at Luke chapter 6. We don't have time. What I want us to do tonight, where we're going to camp out, is Matthew chapter 18 because it's a beautiful parable about forgiveness and mercy. Let's look at Matthew 18, starting in verse 20. And we'll read this together, and then we'll draw, thing, we'll pull things out of the passage and see how they apply to our life. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up with an agenda. <laughs> it's not what the Bible says, but he has a question on his mind. There's something he wants to know. He said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. We don't know what Peter's dealing with at the time. Maybe he's struggling to forgive someone. We don't know. But we've all struggled to forgive somebody sometimes. So check this out. Jesus, how many times do I have to show mercy to my brother? About seven. That's a nice biblical number, the number that represents perfection in the Word of God. Let's go with seven times. Let's, let's bring that up to Jesus. What about seven times, Jesus? Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, the master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's this passage teach us about being merciful? A few things I want us to notice from this story, and by the way, this subject, mercy, really could be an entire series in and of itself. The Bible has so much to say about it. But the first life lesson that I really think where we are today, here it is, life lesson number one, the mercy of the kingdom ought to be like the mercy of the king. The mercy of the kingdom, if you'd like to write this down, you can. The mercy of the kingdom ought to be like the mercy of the king. Look back with me at, at what is it, verse, uh, the first verse of the parable there, verse 23. We'll get there in just a minute. Before we read it though, remember, if the Lord is our king, His mercy must govern us, the kingdom, the church, the kingdom of heaven on earth. His mercy must govern us as the kingdom, but also as individuals. It's easy to look 
over the very beginning of this parable, but look how it begins. Do not miss this. What, what is this a story about? Look at the verse. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. This is a story, it's supposed to be a story, about the kingdom of heaven. The church. The church's mercy upon other people as taught to them by the king. It's a parable about the kingdom of heaven. It's a parable about how the, the church ought to compare with the king. How the mercy of the church should be like the mercy of the king. And probably a lot of us can relate to the beginning of this parable because really it begins with a king who's really, he's ready to settle the score. Anybody been there before? Throw punches, whatever you want to call it. Settle the score. Make them pay for what they did to you. Make them pay because they owe you something. Make them sorry for what they did. Settle the score. This week on Facebook, You've been tempted to do that? You've been tempted to make somebody pay for what they said? You've been tempted to blast somebody? The king decides to go and settle the score. Not in a vengeful way, but to pay what he is owed. He is the king. The servants owe him that. It's time to pay up. It's time for him to get what he's owed. And they're going to get what's owed to them. The king says, today I'm going to collect payment. I'm going to settle things with my servants. It's payday. I'm going to settle these accounts. And so the king sets out to do that. And when he brings in a servant who has some serious debt, his heart begins to change. Some scholars believe that a talent was the equivalent of like 20 years worth of wages for a worker. 20 years worth of wages is one talent. How many talents does this guy owe? Did you catch it? How, how many? You can talk. How many talents does this guy owe? 10,000. They didn't have Lamborghinis back then. What, what did this guy buy for 10,000 talents? How, what, what, did, what kind of deal did this guy cut? This guy owed 10,000 talents. What is he buying? There's no way this guy can pay the king back. And so verse 25, the, the master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and everything he had to make the payment. But the servant fell on his knees and he begged, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, verse 27, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But sadly, the story doesn't end there. The same servant turns around and he says, you know what? I'm going to settle the score. I'm going to go find the people who owe me what I deserve. And so he goes out and he finds somebody who owes him a hundred denarii. That's a hundred days wages. Sounds like a lot of money until you compare it to 10,000 talents. That's pennies. Pocket change. There's no comparison. Nevertheless, though, the guy is ready to settle the score once and for all. And so he takes matters in his own hands and he takes the guy by the throat and he says, I'm going to make you pay... And the man says, have patience with me and I will pay you. And the servant says, not going to happen. And he puts him in his place. He puts him in a prison, completely ignoring the fact that he has been shown the great mercy of the king. The kingdom ought to show that same mercy. Life lesson number two. All are in debt and all are offered forgiveness. What we learn from the story, all of us are in debt and all of us are offered forgiveness. Do you really believe that? Do you really understand the magnitude of sin? How the sin of gossip carries the same price tag of the sin of homosexuality? 
really believe that the same price tag of the sin for murder is the same of you telling a lie? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. If you've ever worked a job where you've been paying a wage, you understand this, right? Maybe you babysat and you got paid $10 an hour. A wage is the payment you were owed for what you did. So you make $10 an hour babysitting. It means every hour you babysit, you get paid $10. You work four hours, you get $40. That's your wage. Why? Because that's the payment you're owed for what you did. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Have you sinned? Yes. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So what is the wage, the payment that you are owed for what you did? Sin. It's death. Every sin carries the price tag of death. We've got to be careful, church, about which sins we choose to be disgusted by. I'll say that again. We've got to be careful about what sins we choose to be disgusted by. Let me give you a challenge. You're watching a TV show and there's a homosexual couple on TV and you think, that is disgusting and you change the channel. Another day, you're watching TV and there's a man and a woman in bed with each other committing sexual sin. Do you change the channel? You disgusted by that? Does that kind of sin disgust you? I don't... The answer, I don't think the answer is just to ignore the sin and keep watching. The answer is to view sin, all sin, the same way that God does. Because sin is sin. It's okay. It's okay to struggle. But it's never okay to sin. I've got to say that after studying this parable... Something jumped out at me, and this always happens when you take the time to study the Bible, right? Something jumps out at you. Something jumped out at me uh, from verse 31 that I've never seen before that, um, that I think is pretty awesome. Uh, something I found comfort in, and maybe you will too. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When the servants saw the way that all this went down, when they saw the behavior of their fellow servant, it really troubled them. Distress really troubled them, really bothered them. It made them feel really uncomfortable. It, it, it troubled them. It, it distressed them. Can anybody identify with that? Maybe you've been distressed about the way things are in this world this week, but one, to me one of the most distressing things has been to witness the behavior of some of my fellow servants. Some of the things that have been said. I, I wish I could address some of these things. I want to do my best um, to share with you some of the things that have distressed me about the last couple of weeks from one servant who's distressed about stuff to another servant that maybe you're distressed about stuff. So, number one, from one distressed servant to another, I want to ask you, I want to humbly ask you, are you building bridges to Christ? Or are you burning bridges? Are you burning bridges or building bridges to Christ? I've seen some things this week that are like, if you don't like this, if you disagree with me on this, we're not friends anymore. Really? Jesus was called a friend of sinners. 
And if we go around defriending everybody, we're not going to befriend anybody. Are you defriending or befriending? Because the only way to lead people to Christ is to build a relationship with them. But a relationship, really, really, a relationship is the bridge to the heart. That's how people are led to the Lord. That's what a relationship is. Luke 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As, I, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Verse 35, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. How about this? Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Do you cut ties with people or do you bind together? I'm a little bit baffled at the posts and the comments from some of my friends on Facebook this week. I'm afraid we're burning bridges that are meant to lead people to Christ instead of build them. We've got an opportunity, church, to show people what we're made of here. Is this the love of Christ that is in you? Or not. It's not a love that you only show towards the people that believe what you believe. It's not a love that, that you just kind of pick and choose when you want to share it. It has to be the love of Christ all the time. It must be shown in everything we do towards everybody we meet, whether it's at school or at work or on Twitter or Facebook. Number two, from one distressed servant to another, I would ask, don't ruin the hearers. Don't ruin the hearers. That comes straight out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 14. You can follow along with me if you'd like to. 2 Timothy 2, this is awesome. Please turn there. 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 14. Remind them of these things. Paul writing to Timothy, advice for a young guy. So young guys, check this out. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Been a part of any arguments like that lately. Seen anything like that lately that doesn't do anything good except burn bridges and ruin the hearers. Verse 15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Well, I'll just post stuff and that'll make everything better. No, it won't. It really won't. This passage is so rich. Anybody else need this this week? Quit arguing. I wondered myself through some of this epic Twitter battles that I've witnessed and some of these Facebook fights. I wonder if Paul, if, if he had a Facebook, if he'd just log in and, or maybe he'd tweet and he'd just say something. I wonder if he would say, hey, while you guys were arguing about the Confederate flag, 
48 people were just led to the Lord. And I planted four churches in Africa. I wish he'd do that. <laughs> let's suppose... Let's suppose that someone struggling with feelings of same-sex attraction looked at your Facebook feed this past week. Would they feel comfortable coming to talk to you about it? Would the things on your Facebook lead them to the Lord, push them away? Christians, we've got too much work to do. We've got a world to save. Let's stop worrying about winning arguments and start worrying about winning souls. Number three, from one distressed servant to another, not every conversation needs your voice. <laughs> not every conversation needs your voice. This is so backwards from the way that we think today. But just because you think it doesn't mean you need to say it. Can I repeat that? Just because you think it doesn't mean you need to say it. Just because you think a thought doesn't mean you need to share it with the world. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you need to say it out loud. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Breaker, breaker, 10-4, got it. Alright, here we go. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, this past week I visited the, the Civil Rights Museum. Wow. Powerful stuff. Anybody ever been there before? The, Civil, the National Civil Rights Museum? Not a lot of people. You need to go. It's not that far away. It's in Memphis. You ought to go. It's amazing. Um, it's a sobering experience. It's an amazing place. Um, the things that, that African Americans had to endure. The things that, um, that they went through are heartbreaking. Eye-opening. I read about sit-ins where discrimination wasn't supposed to be anymore or segregation was supposed to be over. But in the Deep South, restaurants still had areas that were segregated. And they would go and, and they'd have sit-ins. And you know what the African Americans would do? They'd sit. You know what they'd say? Nothing. All the while, they're mocked, they're beaten, they're made fun of, they're spit on, all by an angry mob who just didn't get it. You know what they did? Not a thing. You know what they said? Not a thing. You know, I couldn't help but think about Jesus. He was arrested. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was spat upon. All by an angry mob. I just didn't get it. And what did he say? You know what he said? Exactly what he needed to say at the time. You know what he did? Exactly what he needed to do at the time. Sometimes saying nothing is exactly what we need to do. And it speaks volumes more than the cries of the mob. Some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say here. I get that. 
but I want to challenge you. If what you're going to say isn't going to help build a bridge to Christ, don't say it. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Use a little wisdom. That post about why you love the Confederate flag or the rainbow flag or this thing or that thing or whatever it is, if it's going to push people away from Christ, is it really worth it? Is it really worth you saying it? Is it going to build a bridge to Christ or burn it? No thing, no post, no comment, no flag, no thing is worth losing the opportunity to lead one precious soul to the Lord. Number four, from one distressed servant to another, be merciful. Will you be merciful towards that kid that everybody at school or even people in the youth group calls gay? Will you make fun of him? just like everybody else. You know what? Maybe that really is his struggle. How would you like it if everybody picked on you because that was your struggle? Or they knew what your struggle was and they picked on you for it. Adults, how about this? How do you treat a lifelong friend when they confide in you that they're struggling with the same thing? When a co-worker confides in you, how will you treat a family member Church, when a gay couple comes through the doors of the building and they're looking for the Lord, how are you going to treat them? Number five, from one distressed servant to another. Talk to the king about it. From one distressed servant to another. Talk to the king about it. Here's an important thing to notice. What did the distressed servants do? What did they do in their distress? Did they go to Facebook and tell everybody everything that was on their heart? Did they go and and post a picture shoving their disgust down other people's throats? Did they walk around blasting all of the other servants? They didn't do any of that. What did they do? They went and talked to their king about everything that had taken place. Do you like to run your mouth? Do you like to gossip? Listen, I've lived here. I know there are some people in this town that like to gossip. Do you like to win an argument? Do you like to put people in their place? Do you like to be right? Are you sad? Are you distressed? Talk to the king about it. We'll wrap up here. The next life lesson from the story, and we'll wrap up with this. If I want to get mercy, I've got to give it like I got it. If I want to get mercy, i got to give it like I got it. Verse 33, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. This parable could be broken down into three words. Payment, the great debt that was owed and that every single one of us owes, the debt of sin, no matter what it looks like. Number two, a plea. The payment was forgiven because the servant, verse 32, pleaded with his king. We need to make pleas before our king as well. And number three, pity. 
The king was filled with pity when he heard his master's cry. Will you show pity to your fellow servants? When they wrong you, and they say the wrong thing, and they do the wrong thing, they didn't do what they were supposed to, how will you respond? Will you show pity? Know that if you do, it will be withheld from you. As we close, I hope you'll take an honest look. I hope all of us will take an honest look inside of our hearts. And I want you to really consider this. Am I merciful? The things I've posted on social media over the last week or so, have my Facebook posts, my tweets, been merciful? Have my conversations been merciful? Have the jokes I've made been merciful? The comments? Have I used the events over the last week to connect people to Christ or have I burned bridges? I know many have mourned this week for where we are as a nation. But make no mistake, America didn't turn their back on God this week. It happened a long time ago. The world's a mess. The only thing that's going to clean it up, it's not the government. We tried that. It's not an organization. It's not a special emphasis. It's not an event. It's not a specific day. The only thing that's going to fix it is Jesus Christ. And it's up to you and I to show Him to those we meet. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Thank you.